I don't know about you, but I find it pretty difficult to watch the news, uh, to read the news, uh, to listen to news today. It's really not so much news. I don't know about you, as it, to me, as it is uh, people yelling at, <clears throat> yelling at each other or people holding a different viewpoint and unwilling to stay in the tension that others can see something differently than, than, than you do. Um, it, whether it's immigration, you know, these are big issues. Immigration, it, it, maybe it's tariffs, uh, maybe it's gun control, maybe it's foreign policy. You see these things that, that quite frankly, it seems in our country truly divide us. Uh, in recent weeks, in fact, there's an issue that has arisen that uh, it, it, it has divided families. Uh, it, is, it is dividing friends. Uh, I don't think I've seen anything like this since, <clears throat> I would say, since the November election last year. I'm speaking, of course, <clears throat> of whether or not you hear Yanni or you hear Laurel. So, so how many of you hear, you know, Yanny? Yeah. How many of you hear Laurel? This is crazy. You know, this is nuts. I mean, they have, they have, they have, you know, investigated this scientifically. You guys know all this. It's been kind of the rage, whatnot, and they determine it's, <coughs> it actually is based on your IQ, which explains a ton why it's Yanny. No, I'm kidding with you. Um, <coughs> We're starting there with a little bit of laughter because the rest of this message will have very little laughter, quite frankly. Now, I also start there. There's a reason, not just that we're laughing, but because it turns out Solomon has something to say about this. Not not the Yanny or Laurel, but about how we hear, how we hear, how we listen. In fact, to be very pointed. Uh, how we listen to and how we hear God, it will maybe shock some of you, maybe not be a surprise that for the Hebrew, uh, to listen is far more than having uh, something strike your eardrum and hearing a sound. It's way more than meets the ear. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to get us contextually where we are in our text today. You'll remember Solomon is, is trying to show us the path, the key, the way, so to speak, to live, to live a life on a fallen planet. And what's, the, what's the way we're going to live, live our life uh, under the sun? And uh, <clears throat> he's going to pursue pleasure, which he has, He's going to pursue power even. You know, he's, he's, as, as a ruler, he takes pleasure, power. He pursues all these to their end. He pursues work. I'm going to work. I'm going to achieve. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to have so much stuff. He even pursues wisdom, right? He goes down all these paths to say, is this the way to, to live life under the sun on, on, on this fallen planet? And he says, it's all vanity of vanities. It's, it's meaningless. Not in the sense of, it has no meaning at all. It's the sense of it's a breath on a winter day that's a mist and then it's gone. There's no lasting significance. Uh, when he says life on a fallen planet, you know, Rob and I interpret this and people see it differently, that it's not just to say, <clears throat> you know, this is what life is like apart from God. 
You know, that, that's true. But it's also, I mean, quite frankly, this is to the church, and it's, uh, this is life, this is what life is like with God on a fallen planet, you see. So it's not just for someone who says there's no God and this is how life goes. No, it's, it's how do we live in such a way that, as we'll see in a moment, that we don't end up vanity of vanities, but we truly find life to be gift. We find life to be gift from God, and there's significance in that. In chapter <clears throat> 4, Solomon is, has moved from making these observations. You know, it's like the philosopher, I'm looking at life, and let me tell you what I see. Two, I'm looking at life, I'm going to tell you what I see, but now I'm going to exhort you. So Solomon is now moving into, let me tell you how, what to do in light of this. And so Rob picked up uh, Solomon's first exhortation, so to speak, and we're going to be hitting them throughout as we move through the summer and into the early fall. And he reminds us, first of all, uh, Solomon is saying this, that um, there is no life, I'll describe it like this, there's no, this is God, there's no life with God, there's no life with God, which would be to be connected to God, apart from life with each other. You can't, you can't have this if there's not this. You wouldn't have this if there was not this, okay? No one bowls alone. You remember that? You know that image. You, you don't, we're not made to bowl alone, I want to move us into our text today. Paula read it. If your Bible's not open, please go there. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. <clears throat> We're in verses 1 through 7. And Solomon's going to put the spotlight now on our ears, on our hearing. Um, I'm going to do something a, a little different. And this is, I'm, I'm warning you on this <clears throat> so that you're ready for it. I'm going to spend most of the time in verse 1, and I'm telling you this now so that 25 minutes from now, you're not sitting there going, oh, my word, he's still in verse 1. There's a bunch more to go. No, we're going to do verse 1 because if we understand verse 1, I'm telling you, you'll, I think you'll see this. If we unpack verse 1 well, interpret it biblically, apply it biblically, then understand it. But then, then the two, three, four, five, six, seven, it'll just kind of flow out. It'll be like, well, yes, 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 yes. And we'll be able to move those, move through those rather quickly. So we'll camp in verse one. We'll begin there. Follow along in your Bibles. <clears throat> Excuse me as I read. Solomon writes, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know they are doing evil. If uh, you and I were walking together and I said to you, guard your steps. You know, if I said to you, you know, watch where you're walking. What would you do? Literally. Just, you know, what would you, what would, look down, look look, down. What, and you, you'd slow down, you know, you'd look down, etc. Yeah, and so it, it, the idea in this is not, um, hey, look at your feet move. It is there's something dangerous that I want you to be careful you don't step into the danger. Is everybody with me on that? So when Solomon says, guard your steps, as you enter the house of God, he's saying there's a danger here. Now, Solomon is speaking of the temple. Okay, so, so he's going, when they went to, to worship God in the temple, he's saying, watch your steps. As you go to the temple of God, you could end up doing evil. Be careful. Man, that's kind of, whoa. So now we take the temple and we move ourselves to 
our day, and what are we going to make of this? So, so we don't have the temple, but uh, uh, our, our New, New Testament application would be, <clears throat> be careful how you go into what? Into the church, into the gathering of the body, into the place where we're gathered to meet and worship God. Be careful. Uh, well, watch out. As you go to church, you may do something evil. Now that is a weighty word. He doesn't waste any time uh, telling us what the what the evil is. And again, he uses he uses the word, not me. You know, <clears throat> he says, "Guard your steps as you go to the house of God, and draw near to listen, rather than here it comes, offer the sacrifice of fools." There's the evil that we could do. I wonder how many of us, from the time we got up this morning, got dressed, got the kids ready if you have kids, or you drove here, how many of us were driving to church and we were, we were, were reminding ourselves, you know, we turned to one another and said, hey, you guys, be careful. I mean, we may go into church. You might, we may go into church and, and we may do evil. How many of us were thinking that coming in? You know, nobody's thinking that. And yet this is what Solomon is exhorting us in. So to do evil is this idea of offering the sacrifice of fools, but what precedes it is so important for us to understand what the sacrifice of fools is. He says we're to draw near to listen. Let's spend some time on this. What does it mean to draw near to listen? The Hebrew word for listen is the word shema, shema. Uh, I want you to say it with me. Shema, one more time. Now, Sam, you say it because this is freighted with meaning. Come before God to hear what he has to say. This is the first priority of worship. So when I asked you, turn to one another and say, why did you come to church? And I was being silly, but the truth is, I came because I had work today. And you came because, some of you came because your parents made you come. Some of you came because your spouse made you. Some of you came because you came to hear the word of God. Some of you came. You have a number of different reasons. What we can grab from this is we can say that the highest priority to come to gather to worship God is to shema. It's to listen. It's to hear what God has to say. And whatever the reason you gave when we talked to one another, that's a legitimate reason. There was no wrong reason there. But every one of those reasons must submit to The highest priority, I'm here to listen to God. Are you guys with me on that? That's the highest priority. The other ones matter, but they are under that priority. Here's where a Hebrew and an American would would disagree on what it means to listen. For a Jew today, as well as an ancient Jew, okay, a Hebrew person, the most important words in their Bible, so to speak, which would be our, would be our Old Testament, it's a, it's a section of verses called the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy. It's true today. An Orthodox Jew is going to read the Shema. He's going to recite the Shema morning and night. Uh, the, the Shema is Deuteronomy 6, 4 and following. I'm just going to read a part of it. <coughs> Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Then impacts some more verses, and he says, these words, what God has said, uh, they shall be on your heart. <clears throat> you shall teach them, bind them as a sign, write them on your doorpost. The first word in the Shema is the Hebrew word Shema. See, that's why they call it the Shema. The first word is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So that's why they call it the the Shema, the first word, hear. It's translated here, listen attentively. It's translated obey. Wait, is it, is it here or it's translated obey and it's translated hear and listen. And the reason is there is no Hebrew word. There's no single Hebrew word for obey. You, you couldn't, in Hebrew, you couldn't look at a child and say, obey me. They would, they would, they don't, there's no word. The word doesn't exist. They have one word. It's the word Shema. And the word Shema means hear. And it means what? Obey. So, so you see, that's, what, that's the only word they have. And so to hear is to obey. <laughs> now, listen to these words from uh, God speaking to Abraham. Help us understand this. Genesis twenty two eighteen. 18. Abraham's bringing the dagger down. The angel stops him. And then God speaks to Abraham. And he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you, Abraham, have obeyed me. Guess what the word obey is in Hebrew? Shema. Shema. <clears throat> this helped me. I, I always kind of been a little confused on this. You know in the Gospels how Jesus, whenever he, he's saying something that is really important, by the way, Jesus never said anything unimportant, but he would, he would say to a, a group of people that he was teaching, <clears throat> he would say, he who has, what? What should they do? Yeah, so, so don't you always, I've always kind of thought, why does he always say he who has ears? Why doesn't he look at him and go, okay, listen, you need to do this. Because that's what he means, doesn't he, when he says it? But he only says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, understanding what we now understand about the Hebrew mind and the Hebrew word, Shema, we know why he said that, don't we? Because to the Jew, when Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, what was he saying? What was the Jew hearing? What did the Jew understand Jesus meant? Tell me. Obey what I'm telling you. Do what I'm saying. If you hear me, you will do what I'm saying. <clears throat> Watch your step as you come to church. You really need to pay attention and be really careful. Because there is a danger that you could hear from God and then not do what you heard him say. And, and honestly, this is true. I, it makes me want to just go, okay, let's just close this right now. Let's all just quietly slip out, right, before we offer the sacrifice of fools. To better get, get a better grip on this idea, sacrifice of fools, <clears throat> let me tell you a story. <clears throat> it's a story that many of you know. It's in 1 Samuel 15, the story of King Saul. 
Uh, Saul is uh, the, you know, God's anointed king of Israel, and he sends Samuel the prophet to Saul, and Samuel goes to Saul and says, hear these words from God. So Saul, hear the word of God. And God says through Samuel to Saul, you are going to execute my judgment on the Amalekites. And they mistreated Israel as Israel came out of Egypt, and therefore I'm executing judgment on them, Saul. You will go and you will destroy the Amalekites. Now, this is the kind of stuff you read in the Old Testament that gives you the willies and kind of makes you draw back and go, I don't get, understand this. Because God said, kill everything. Everything. Men, women, children, animals, everything. And we need to step back from that and understand from a, you know, this, this doesn't make it any easier, but it helps us understand the biblical category from a theological perspective. God is judging sin. See, when God judges sin, he doesn't just, he doesn't leave a little bit out. You see, he says this picture of God's judgment on sin. And so Saul says, I'm going to do it. And so Saul goes and he destroys the Amalekites. Sort of. He ends up keeping Agag, the king, brings him back alive. And then he ends up keeping the good stuff. He keeps the best sheep, the best oxen, the healthiest, et cetera, et cetera, the gold, the values, the valuables. And so Samuel comes and confronts Saul. Saul, what are you doing? And Saul says, I'm doing what God said to do. And then that twist in Samuel says, and what is the lowing of sheep and the oxen I hear? And Saul says, well, the people kept the good stuff in order to sacrifice it to God. In other words, so he's going to wrap a spiritual bow around it. He's going to be like, well, look, man, this was all honestly for God. Samuel says, why did you not obey the Lord? What word do you think he used there? Yeah. Why did you not shema? the Lord. And Saul says, this is the second time he says it, I did obey the verse of the Lord. What word do you think to use? I did shema the Lord. (coughs) And then Samuel's familiar words, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. I need not tell you that the Hebrew word in that verse two times used (coughs) is Shema. The sacrifice of fools is hearing from God but not doing what God has said. But we need to go a little further because using Saul as our example, we understand that (coughs) Saul did part of what God commanded, right? He, he did part of it. So, so, so God, let me do it this way. Like, God said, do this. And Saul did this. In other words, he, he didn't do this little piece, but he did, he did almost all of it, right? But in the eyes of God, to do only part of what he commands is to do none of what he commands. There's no, you know, you did. You did 98%. You did not do 
what he commanded. So the sacrifice of fools is to hear from God and not do what we have heard. Precisely, fully, and completely. There's actually more. New Testament scholar Ian Proven writes, The sacrifice of fools is the careless observance of religion unattached to any genuinely Godward movement of the soul. End quote. I'll rephrase it. The sacrifice of fools is acting Christian, doing Christian, saying Christian, without being truly Christian within. I'll say it another way. The sacrifice of fools is going through the motions outwardly with no inward reality of change. See, this is not a word. This is... This is not a word for a non-Christian. This is not a word, you all, for the community. This is a word for God's people. If you're sitting in the room, for whatever reason, whether you've trusted Christ yet or not, you're you're seeking or you're kind of curious about God. Many in the room, of course, have placed your faith in Christ. This is for us. It's not for them. It's for us. See, we make the sacrifice of fools. See, we come into church and, you know, I do. How you doing? Great. Shake hands, do the Christian thing, talk the Christian thing. But we may not have that reality in our hearts within. Guard your steps, he says. He says to us, be careful when you go to church because you may do evil. You may offer the sacrifice of fools. I pause there because I think the Holy Spirit's always speaking and I'm not, I'm not here to tell you what, you know what I'm saying? I, but I'm here to say this is what God's word says and I do believe the Holy Spirit speaks and whatever you're hearing him say to you, I implore you, pay attention. Now, we're going to go on because now that we understand verse 1, watch how the rest of the passage just kind of flows right out of it. It just logically flows out of it. Solomon began with words that we hear, like we need to hear this from God. And so now Solomon's going to go, now I'm going to turn it and I'm going to say, what about your words that come out of your mouth that you make to God? That's where he goes and just flows right out of it. Look at verse 2. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought. The word thought, the word thought there, by the way, is the word heart. Do not be impulsive in your heart. Don't be quick in your words to bring up a matter in the presence of God. Why? For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. <clears throat> there, you know what? That's, that's wisdom for all time. Let your words be few. How, how many of us would, how many of us wish that that were true of us, you know, in life in general? Let our words be few. But here, biblically, we're going to say, well, why would our words be few? This is where the logic of Solomon's words flow out. First, we understand because to come into the presence of God, the most important thing we come into God's presence for is to, first of all, there are other reasons, but what's the priority that we come into the presence of God? To listen. I mean, that just makes sense. If I'm going to listen, then I'm going to say fewer words. 
He's inviting us to think about who it is we come into, whose whose presence it is we come into. And he kind of puts us in our place, if I can say it that way, not in a shameful way. But when he says that statement, look, God's in heaven and you're on earth. You know what he's saying? He's saying, hello, God is God and you are not uh, you, do you understand that, that God is the God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them? And you are a creature that's been created. Do you see that? He's just reminding us not to say, God's so far from you. No, he's not, he's not talking about that in terms of distance. He's talking about the perspective of God is so f- beyond you. You understand you were made by God, but he's God, not you. Let your words be few. He goes on, and this is where it keeps flowing out. Okay, why else should our words be few? Look at verses 4 to 6. Because when you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. We never, God never makes us make vows. We choose to make a vow to God. Do not let your words, your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake the messenger would probably be a priest who comes to you after you've made a a promise to God I'm going to give this I'm going to do this and the priest comes and says you know you promised that you were going to do this have you done it and you go I it was a mistake when I said it I didn't mean it when don't do that don't do that he says Why should God be angry on account of your voice? This is what you said. And destroy the work of your hands. Why else else would we have few words? Because we need to be careful. We don't make a vow. We don't keep. It wasn't uncommon in that day uh, for a Hebrew to make a vow to God. Uh, The most... One of the more familiar ones I think we have actually is tied closely to this story. It's Hannah's vow. If we read 1 Samuel, Hannah is the prophet Samuel's mom. Hannah could have no children. And Elkanah, her husband, uh, you know, would would look at her, and and, and it's it's almost sad that he says this, but she can't have children, and he says to her, am I not enough? (laughs) Like every guy in the room might do. Am I enough for you? You know, I'm better than children. Of course, she's like, no, you're not enough. You know, I want a child. And, And so she goes to the temple, and she makes a vow. She's praying for a child, and uh, Eli, the priest, thinks she's drunk because she's kind of babbling, and and she goes, I'm not drunk. She goes, I'm begging God for a son. I'm begging God for a a child and a boy, and she makes a vow and says, God, if you'll give me a boy, I will dedicate him to your service. Now, we got to remember in this day, it was not like, hey, I'll bring him to the baby dedication, and I'll stand up in front of everybody and say, I'm going to raise him in the wisdom and admonition of the Lord. And then you take him home and you raise him. No, no, no. When she said, I'll dedicate him to the Lord, it was saying, I'm going to literally give my boy back to you, God, in a, in a literal way. And this would happen when, when Sam, Samuel was six years old. Now, Mom, you think about this. Are you going to take your six-year-old because you made the promise and God kept his in? Are you going to keep yours and give your child? You don't raise him anymore. He's not yours. And she takes him to Eli when he's six. And we go, that's too much. That, you know, that was another day. That's back then. We can't even get our arms, our, our head around that. And I would say to you, absolutely, I can't get my head around that either. But... While things have changed, here's what's not changed if, if we can go to our own application. Hannah 
made a vow. When I say the word vow, think promise. Hannah made a promise to God. And Hannah kept her promise to God. And keeping her promise was not without great cost. That's true 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago. It's true today. It'll be true 1,000 years in front of us. Hannah made a promise. She kept her promise. And her promise cost her. Cost her dearly. So the second reason we are of few words in God's presence is you need, we, we need to be careful what we promise. So we may make a promise we don't keep. Now, you go, Lloyd, that's going too far. I mean, come on, you know. That's, that's extreme. All, all I will say is what we fail to take into account is, is that when, when you and I make a promise, God views our promise the same way he views his promises. Now think about that. God views the promises we make the same way he views the promises he makes. So is there ever a promise that God makes that he doesn't keep? What's the answer? Y'all, the answer is never. It's the same standard for you and me. <laughs> to say I'm going to do something, to make a promise to someone is... And then to not do it, you see, that, that's unacceptable. <laughs> it's evil. It's sin. At this point, I, I, I trust there's some of us in the room going, man, I shouldn't have come to church today. <laughs> I had not thought about that for 25 I'm serious. Because there's some of us who are hearing from God about promises we made. I believe that. I'm not judging anyone. Is that what you're hearing? Look at verses 3 and 7. I skipped that because really 7 interprets 3, I think, or helps us understand it more. Verse 3, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. Verse 7, for in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. That's the word meaninglessness. That's the havel that's all throughout the book. Rather, fear God. Okay, to come, uh, what he's saying there is, uh, we think, it's a very difficult thing to understand, but what scholars believe it's saying is, you know, to come to God into God's presence um, casually, take promises, you know, not take them serious, to not come with a sense of reverence, to worship, to engage with God. To come that way is to be like a dreamer who dreams. You know, just dream, dream, dream. You know people like this, I'm going to dream, I'm going to do this. It's just all words, it's dreaming, and nothing ever comes to reality. It's not, not good. It's to be a fool who can't stop talking. When all said and done, fear God. You know, this is what we said this is going to come back to. When we get to the end in September, let me tell you what he's going to say. Fear God. <laughs> That's what he's going to say. I talked two weeks ago about a definition of what it means to fear God. It's so prominent in our Bibles. There's not like one word that would define it or one phrase. And so I said, let me offer you two thoughts around this. And I said, 
We know, you know, we know it's, to, it's a wholesome dread of displeasing God. I saw called that filial, family, relational, love, fear. I don't want to disappoint my mom and dad who love me unconditionally. So it's a wholesome dread of displeasing our heavenly father. It's also, I said, a holy awe. A holy awe of God as he's revealed in the Bible. It's the holy awe of going, he's in heaven and I'm on earth. And it's a reverence that rises up. Let me offer a third phrase. We'll, we'll, we'll add more as we go. But it's this sense of a humble awareness that to hear God is to obey God. That puts the fear of God in me. I don't know about you. Let me give you three principles very quickly, and then we're going to apply this. <clears throat> three, there's more, but let me give you three that I don't even need to explain them. They're self-explanatory. Number one, to listen is to obey perfectly. Don't miss the last word. To listen is to obey perfectly. To Listen is to worship fearfully. So to listen is to worship fearfully. Then finally, to listen is to keep every promise. So so to listen is to keep Every promise. And as I thought about these, they, you, the, you just feel the weight of that. I don't know about you. I said, what do we do? I thought, I think we pray. I, I think we pray. And so in terms of application, may I invite you to bow your head. And I'm going to invite you to speak to God. And quite frankly, I'm going to invite you to two things, confession and Repentance. Father, we have sat under your word and some of us would say we have heard you and now we know what that means. So to, so to listen is to obey perfectly. And Lord, we want to confess ways we haven't and don't. And in fact, can't. And so I want you to think about that. And would you take a moment and confess where you haven't obeyed perfectly and turn from that. Do that now. Father, we understand that to listen is to worship fearfully with a wholesome dread of displeasing you, a holy awe of you as you're revealed in your word. And Lord, a humble awareness 
that to hear is to obey. To the degree that we don't worship fearfully, would you speak to the Lord about your own heart? This is you and God. May I invite you to confess and repent where the Spirit leads you. And Father, we understand now that to hear you, to listen, to have heard you, is to keep every promise. And I want to invite you to confess, to repent, where God is bringing to your mind promises unkept. Father, we are confident that you hear our prayers. That means you're you're acting on our prayers all the time in every way. And Lord, these These truths go beyond what we do. And in fact, we are reminded that only Jesus listened and obeyed perfectly. That only Jesus listened and worshipped fearfully. That only Jesus listened and kept every promise. And so in our confession and repentance, we cry out, we turn to, we rest in Jesus, who is our perfect obedience, our fearful worship, And the promise keeper. What we could not do, what we cannot do, he has done on our behalf. And we trust him. And trusting him, Father, knowing that in him we are fully accepted, 
fully loved. We depend on him, his spirit in us to help us more fully obey, to more fully worship, and yes, Lord, to keep every promise. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. I I want to say something because I I do not want you to miss this. Forgive me for being wordy. But when we hear these, what this means to listen and hear, I prayed it, but I'm going to say it to you eye to eye. You can't obey perfectly. You cannot worship fearfully. And you cannot keep every promise. And the message of the gospel is, you better keep trying, right? What's the message of the gospel? Jesus did it all. (laughs) He did it all for us. And so when we trust that he's done it all for us, look, we don't just stop and go, well, he did it all, so I don't have to keep my promises. (laughs) Wait, Jesus did it all, so I don't have... No, because of that great love of God exploding in our hearts, we then choose to live in the power of the Spirit in ways that we obey, not to be loved by God or not to be accepted but because we are loved and accepted in Christ. Look, this is, this is such a huge difference between, you know, a legalism and the gospel of grace. And I hope you hear in these words, Jesus did it all. He did it all for me. And I'm going to f- walk with him in the power of his spirit to obey him, to worship fearfully. And y'all to keep my promises. So, some of you truly, I believe, you, you know, God brought to your mind a promise you didn't keep. We can confess it. God forgives it. But that doesn't let you off the hook, so to speak. Do you see what I'm saying? So, God may inviting you to keep your promise. And you're going, oh, gosh. What? Well, you can't do it. And so you go, God, I can't. But your spirit in me can. So, would you empower me to keep this promise? And you just take a step of faith to keep the promise. Does that make sense? All right. Last question. I mean, really, which is it, Yanni or Laurel? You know what I'm saying? Here's the answer. Here's the answer. Here's the answer. Oh, whoa, whoa. It doesn't matter. I mean, it just doesn't matter, right? Have you heard from God? Mm. Be careful how you answer. Because it really, really matters. God bless. See you next week.